We are in a series of sermons this summer on the biblical book of 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians is a letter uh, from one of the great leaders of the early church, the Apostle Paul, that he's writing back to a church that he had founded a few years later, uh, earlier, and then he had moved away, and now he's writing back to them. He wrote this letter in response to some news that he'd received about how things were going at the church. And part of the news was just telling him about what was happening, what were the developments uh, happening in the church re recently. And some of the things he heard were good news, and some of the things that he heard were things that he needed to uh, address and correct in order to get the church back on track. And we titled our series, It Happened in Corinth Too, because what you find is that the issues that this church dealt with um, are the same kinds of things that we deal with in our own culture, in our own churches today. And in the section that we're going to be looking at today, Paul is answering a specific question that the Christians in Corinth had asked for guidance on. Uh, this was uh, a question about proper Christian behavior and ethics. The Corinthian Christians were unsure about whether a particular behavior was acceptable for Christians to participate in, or was it a sin? And that kind of decision-making was especially important in those days, since Christianity was a very new religion, wasn't really a history for them to rely on, and all of the Christians in Corinth were brand new Christians. Nobody had been a Christian there for more than a couple of years. And so they had a lot of decisions to be made about, well, how do we live out this, this new faith? They understood that they were not bound to follow the Jewish laws of the Old Testament, but that left them with a lot of questions about what was right and what was wrong. Now, we aren't in exactly the same situation since we do have the traditions and normal practices of the church to help guide us, but often the things that we have been done in the past and our traditions as a church are not actually a reliable guide in, uh, on the way things ought to be done. So we have the same kinds of questions that the Christians did in Corinth about whether specific behaviors are good and bad. And I have some, uh, some visual aids here. We can illustrate moral decision-making with buckets. So we have one for sinful behavior and one for acceptable behavior. And as we go on in life, we, uh, when we uh, are faced with a choice of whether or not we should participate in a particular thing, we need to know which bucket it should go in, the, the uh, acceptable behavior bucket, uh, bucket or the sinful bucket. And so I have a few um, visual aids here to try out this, this system. So I have here a rose. This rose symbolizes loving your spouse. Is that acceptable behavior or sinful behavior? Yes, yes, very easy. That's acceptable behavior. We'll put that one over there. Um, now I have uh, a statue of some kind of an idol. That's what this is, really. Um, so uh, idolatry, worshiping idols, acceptable or not acceptable? That's sinful, clearly. That's an easy one. Let's see, what's next? Uh, I have uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne's Scarlet Letter for Adultery. Clearly, that's a sinful behavior. We'll put that one in the sinful bucket. Um, how about feeding the poor, feeding people that are hungry? 
That's a great, good thing for us to be doing, right? How about um, working hard at our jobs and being excellent at the work that we do? Yeah, maybe you don't work with a hammer, but that'll, that'll symbolize all kinds of work that we do. A um, couple more here. Got some gold coins here to symbolize greed. Clearly that's sinful, right? And the last uh, one, this part here, uh, a name tag. Wearing your name tag when you come to church. <laughs> that is good behavior when you wear your name tag when you come to church. Um, so those were all easy ones, uh, but sometimes uh, we have things that are not quite as clear. And one uh, area where uh, we often have to make some choices is in our entertainment uh, choices. And um, I have a couple of choices here for us to, to decide on. First, I have Josh and the Big Wall, VeggieTales. That one's okay, right? Put that in the acceptable, sorry, wrong bucket. Then I have my uh, pornography here. Not really. Uh, that would go in the sinful behavior one. Now I've got uh, Deadpool. You guys know Deadpool? Uh, this is a uh, superhero action movie, but it's a little different than most superhero action movies. Uh, the Motion Picture Association of America, those are the guys that make the movie ratings, they rated this one rated R, and here's their reasons. Strong violence and language throughout sexual content and graphic nudity. Sinful, maybe it's not pornography. So let's just set that one aside for a moment, and we'll come back to it in a second here. What about, um, let's see, how about, um, I've got a calendar here. This symbolizes uh, special uh, religious days, like uh, keeping the Sabbath or not working on Sundays. Do you guys ever see that uh, movie, Chariots of Fire? Great story in Chariots of Fire that's about this uh, British athlete from the 1920s, uh, Olympic athlete. Uh, he was a strong Christian, and he had a strong conviction that it would be absolutely wrong for him as a Christian to race in the Olympics on a Sunday. And so he refused to race on a Sunday. Um, what, what do we think about that? Um, is that what, what, racing on Sunday or working at your job on Sunday? Um, is that acceptable behavior or is that sinful behavior? Let's, uh, let's just set that one aside for a moment too. Um, Another one here, can of beer. Um, this is one where uh, Christians have been split on this for a very long time, um, but it's also an area where I've seen uh, in my lifetime quite a shift among conservative Christians. used to be uh, that the majority of good Christian people would put this right in the sinful bucket. Um, but nowadays, I think the shift has gone so that the majority would now say, oh, no problem, it goes, but, but let me assure you that there are many people on both sides of that debate among uh, Christians in the United States right now. So I think we'll just set that there for a second. So what are we going to do with these things? 
um, what, which bucket do we put them in? Are they acceptable or sinful? Or what about a third option? I have here a third bucket. It says it's uh, disputable matters. Disputable matters. Um, and I'm going to put R-rated movies and observing special days like not working on Sundays or uh, following holidays like Lent or something like that, and uh, alcohol. I'm going to put them all in that bucket, and we'll talk about what that means and whether they should really be in there in a little bit. But um, I took the wording for the label on this one, disputable matters. I need to lay down my calendar. That one's in there, but I want to see you'll be able to see my uh, label. Disputable matters. I took that from uh, Romans chapter 14. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 14. It says, Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. See, this is where the Bible clearly creates this third category of disputable matters. Um, things that... Um, well, two disputable matters specifically are mentioned in these verses. First is whether or not it's okay for Christians to eat meat. And I'll explain in a little bit why that was uh, an issue. Um, and then it also mentions the special days issue that we mentioned a moment ago. And so we can be certain that the calendar, even though it fell down, it goes in that bucket there because uh, that's specified here in Romans. Now, the first thing that we can... Uh, before we go any further, we need, to, we need to get an idea of what this third option really is. What does it mean to have a third bucket here of disputable matters? What does that term disputable matters mean in the book of Romans? And the first thing we see is that um, disputable matters are behaviors that Christians are split about whether they're okay or not. Can we eat meat? Some say yes, some say no. Do we need to observe sacred days? Some say yes, some say no. So these are things where there are disagreement. But if disagreement about whether or not something is okay, uh, that is not enough to put something in the disputable matters category. If we put everything that we disagreed in there, then pretty soon all our other buckets would be empty and almost everything would be right there. Because people disagree about all kinds of things. Um, but that's not Christian teaching. The Bible teaches us that there are some things that are definitely wrong and some things that are definitely good. When we take a look at the teaching of Jesus, we see many times where he's correcting people on these matters of right and wrong. Quite a few stories where Jesus tells people, you guys think that this is okay, this is not okay. Or he tells them, you guys think that this is not okay, that this is sinful? Let me tell you, this is not sinful. And then the rest of the Bible follows the same kind of pattern. And we've seen it quite a bit already in 1 Corinthians, if you've been here for the series, where Paul calls out specific behaviors and says, these things are sinful. Um, no disputing allowed. But they're not universally accepted understandings of right and wrong. In fact, uh, 
there are some people who are disagreeing with Jesus in the gospel stories and with Paul in Corinth. That's why they have to correct them. Uh, one example of that is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where it said, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Clearly, there were some people who were arguing that these, some of these things were okay, or Paul wouldn't have said, don't be deceived. These things are not okay. So when the Bible says, don't quarrel over disputable matters, it does not mean we are never to take sides on an issue of right and wrong. Sometimes we need to take a stand and we need to say, uh, you think this is okay, but this is not okay. Or you think this thing is sinful? It is not sinful. And we need to take a stand on those things. But there are also times when we need to put things in the disputable matters category and not quarrel over them. In order to understand this better, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 10, and we'll come back to some more of Romans 14 too. And that is quite a bit of biblical material on this uh, topic in these two books of the Bible. I encourage you to uh, take some time, go in and read this stuff. We're not going to cover everything today, uh, this morning. So read chapters 8, 10, and 14 of Romans, and you'll get even more uh, than what we're able to cover this morning. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Now about food sacrificed to idols. So here it is. He's beginning to answer one of the specific questions that the church had sought his guidance about, the issue of food sacrificed to idols. So what does that mean? Well, the background of this question is that in Corinth, there were a number of temples dedicated to the various gods like Poseidon and Apollo and uh, Venus and Isis, all had temples there and a few others besides. And one of the ways that the people of Corinth would try to earn the favor of the gods was to offer animal sacrifices in their temples. And when you did that, you brought in a goat or a cow or whatever it was, then you would sacrifice the animal. A small portion of it would be burned at the temple to give to the god, and then a portion of it would go to the worshiper who offered it, and then a portion of it would go to the priest. And the priest, they didn't need that much meat that they were bringing in, so what did they do with it? They took it and sold it in the meat market. And then they could have cash money instead of just uh, piles of meat. And, uh, and often when people went to uh, the meat market, a huge percentage of the meat there had been offered to an idol before it was brought to the market. And it was often really difficult to tell. There was no clear labeling or anything which one came from the uh, idol temple and which one didn't. And so uh, a lot of Corinthian Christians and the Roman Christians too which is why the same issue is discussed in Romans 14, they were divided about whether it was acceptable to eat meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. And so that's why they wrote to Paul and said, hey, Paul, give us some guidance here. What, what's the deal? Now, this is not really a, a thing for modern American culture, right? We don't have uh, our meat at Fred Meyer was not sacrificed to an idol. But it's also not, um, not restricted to ancient, historical, Greco-Roman culture. Uh, when I was a missionary in South Africa, many of my students, uh, especially the Zulu students, this was a very current issue for them. 
ritual sacrifice where they would uh, slaughter a cow and then have a big uh, feast of that animal to honor the ancestors uh, is still very much a modern practice in South Africa. And my uh, Christian students had a dilemma very similar to the Corinthians on whether or not they should go and be with their families. They were, they were family occasions and everybody was expected to be there. Should they go to these things and eat this meat? Um, so Paul's initial answer is not a straightforward yes or no on whether they can eat it. I'm sure they were a little disappointed when they first read this. Um, they wanted an answer and he doesn't give them a straight answer. Uh, he doesn't put it either into the sinful or the acceptable buckets. He says, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. Now that right there is a bit of wisdom that is applicable to many contexts and many situations. Uh, it, it's applicable to our discussion today, but boy, it fits all kinds of other things too. Overestimating our knowledge of an issue puffs up our egos and can be harmful in so many ways. Meanwhile, love does not puff up our ego, it builds up the people around us. Love is greater than knowledge. Of course, it's best to have both, love and knowledge, but if you have to choose one, lean into love and and uh, emphasize love over knowledge. A couple of verses down, he explains what he's talking about with this knowledge. He says, We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and there is no God but one. And then in verse 7, he says, But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. So let me, let me paraphrase that a little bit. Here's what the Bible is saying. We know that idols are just pieces of stone and metal. They are not gods. There is no such person as Poseidon or Apollo. Therefore, when someone offers meat to such an idol, it basically is just a meaningless exercise. Nothing is really happening there. But there is another very important consideration in this question as to whether a Christian ought to do this disputable thing. That is that we must take into consideration other people who may not share our understanding and knowledge of the truth about idols. And Paul refers to those people uh, whose conscience is weak so that they cannot break their old way of thinking that this food is associated with a God and therefore not for Christian consumption. And here we see another characteristic of things that belong in the category of debatable matters. If you're going to put something in this category, it needs to fit this, this qualifier. It's clear that the disputable behavior here is not actually sinful in and of itself. Eating the idle meat is in reality not sinful. Um, that is made very clear in the next verse where Paul says, But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. So, 
Anything that goes in the disputable matters category has to be something that is not sinful in and of itself. I have another uh, object here to illustrate this idea. This is a deck of playing cards. Um, some of you who've been Christians a long time will know why I'm holding this up. Others will kind of wonder. But um, it's not as common as it used to be, but some Christians associate playing cards very strongly with gambling. And so they believe that Christians should just stay completely away from playing cards, just like we would stay away from a roulette wheel or a, a slot machine. These are gambling implements. Gambling is bad, and therefore Christians should stay away from them. But that illustrates one of the characteristics of these disputable matters, that it is not actually sinful. It is not a sin to play a game of hearts with your friends using a deck of cards, but because um, some people have convictions about it, nonetheless, it is a disputable matter. Um, and essentially the same thing goes for the other things we put in there, including the beer. Uh, it's not drinking a beer that is sinful. Uh, however, drinking alcohol is not just associated with, but it's a contributing factor in a great many sins. But technically, it isn't the beer or the wine or whatever that is a sin. It's getting drunk and losing control of ourselves and the many other bad behaviors that drinking can make us more prone to that are actually sinful. Someone can drink alcohol without sinning, but because of the relationship between alcohol and actual sins, many people consider drinking itself to be a sin. But if something isn't actually sinful then shouldn't it just go into the acceptable behavior ca category? Why do we need a third bucket there if everything that goes in there is not sinful? Um, the next verse in 1 Corinthians, uh, next couple of verses start to answer that question for us. It says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights, and by the exercise of your rights, he means your right to play sports or work on Sundays or whatever, does not become a stumbling block for the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. The person with the weak conscience, remember, is the, the one who doesn't understand that idols are nothing. Or to broaden the principle, they don't understand that a particular behavior is not actually sinful. And so... The Bible warns us that if we set the example of freedom to indulge in these disputable matters, and another Christian who feels that this behavior is wrong sees us, they will be encouraged to follow our example even though they believe it to be wrong. And that is a real problem. Paul says that when they go against conscience in doing something that they believe to be wrong for them, it is a sin. And it is the example of the stronger Christian that is the cause of their sin. 
This idea is also in Romans 14. Here's what it says there. He says, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. That is to say, it's fine to eat the beet, play with the cards, watch the movie, those things. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. And that's a key point. If someone violates their own convictions by doing something that they believe to be sinful, that is sinful for them. Even if they're mistaken about whether the action really is uh, forbidden by God. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. It's that last part that is one of the big application points today. If your actions lead another believer to follow your example in violation of their own conscience, and by doing so they sin against God, then don't do it. Do not, by eating or drinking, cause someone else to sin. A few verses later in Romans, it says this. It says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or to drink wine or to uh, violate the Sabbath or to whatever these other things are um, or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Better not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. That's one of the main applications of this whole discussion of disputable matters. It's better for you to voluntarily refrain from things that really aren't sinful than to exercise your freedom to indulge and by doing so to cause someone else to fall. The Bible tells us to restrict ourselves for the sake of others. But does this mean that we must all just bow to the strictest, most legalistic people around and, uh, and uh, never do anything that they don't approve of? No. Paul is not saying that the Christians in Corinth and Rome should all stop eating meat sacrificed to idols because some people have convictions about that, so everybody just stop. That's not what he says. In fact, um, he is not saying uh, that they should stop eating. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, here's what he says. He says, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. In other words, go right ahead. Eat the meat. Not only is it not sinful, the Bible seems to be telling us to feel free to participate in these disputable behaviors. Go ahead and do it. But it, didn't it just say, though, that not to eat because it could cause another person to sin... So if we really are free to indulge, and the Bible even seems to be encouraging us to go to head, then when must we restrict ourselves for the sake of others? Well, the key is that it isn't simply to avoid being judged by legalists that we should refrain. 
It is when our eating or drinking or whatever is likely to cause another Christian who really believes that it is wrong to follow our example, that's when we need to refrain for their sake. It's not the judgmental person who is shocked by our unchristian, at least in their eyes, our unchristian behavior that they would never do themselves. That's not the person we need to be concerned about because they're not going to follow your example. Um, Those kinds of judgmental attitudes are another of the main application points of the discussion in both Romans and Corinthians. So let's take a look at, at, uh, at that again. Let's look at Romans first part of Romans chapter 14. It says, "'Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them.'" Who are you to judge someone else's servant? You see, our normal kind of human tendency is for those who understand that there's nothing really wrong with a particular behavior, we look at those people who have convictions about it and we're like, what is wrong with you guys? Don't you realize that idols are just blocks of stone? That a glass of wine is just a beverage? And that one day of the week is no more and no less holy than any other day of the week? You guys, you guys are just ignorant, legalistic fundamentalists. And you need to get with the program. That's called contempt. And on the other side of the dispute, we see uh, the, those people see the others as worldly compromising Christians who live no differently than the sinful world around them. And that's called Judging. But what does the Bible say? It says, do not treat with contempt and judge people who disagree with you about disputable matters. Accept those who have different views of these things. They are also good Christian people who have been accepted by God. Now, one reason this is hard for us is because a lot of people don't really believe in this third bucket. A lot of people feel like, no, everything it's either wrong or it's not wrong. Black and white, forget this third option, there is no such thing. There is no gray. If you disagree, you either need an education in Christian freedom, or you need to say no to sin. But the Bible says no, it's not that simple. It's not that simple. There are disputable matters that we disagree about, and we need to treat those things differently than we do clear sins. There's also a disagreement even if you accept the category in theory about what behaviors are really disputable matters that we should tolerate and accept in our fellow Christians and which ones don't go in that category at all. Some of you probably can't see how playing cards can possibly be a disputable matter. And some of you probably don't see how a beer can possibly be a disputable matter. We can hope that someday we will all come to agreement about things like this, and we'll all say, we'll all have the same views on that. But in the meantime, we must learn to love those who disagree with us, and we need to treat them with love and respect. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
Paul says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Yes, we may have the right to participate in disputable behaviors, but we must always remember that we need to seek the good of others and not our own good. Now, once uh, we come to that, there is that, and believe that there is this third category of disputable matters and that we need to show love and acceptance rather than disdain and judgment, there's still a lot of work to be done in decision-making about moral issues. And there's still a lot of valid questions about whether specific behaviors really belong in disputable matters or should they be um, in the sinful category. And to be honest, I'm really not too sure about Deadpool. I think, uh, I'm not sure which category that one really goes in, but might cross the line. But as we are guided by the Bible and the Holy Spirit and mature Christians around us, we can make good moral choices. And when we disagree, don't forget the last verses on the subject from 1 Corinthians. It says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we need your help in this, uh, in this area. We need your help to love those who disagree with us and to accept them. Lord, may we not be judgmental and may we not show contempt. And we need the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives to, uh, to correct our hearts when we start to feel that way. And Lord, we also pray for your wisdom and guidance in making the right decisions about which categories um, behaviors belong in what things are really disputable matters and what things are sinful and what things should we take a stand on. Lord, guide our hearts. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus.